my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Now, this is so different than a normal talk show, where in a normal talk show, the host always is about having the last word, always being right. And that's not what this is. This is where we learn together to serve each other, to empower each other with knowledge that you can use to improve your life and your wallet. And there are times that you'll hear me answer a question from someone, give an opinion, give advice that you feel didn't hit the mark or was just flat wrong. And when that happens, I want you to let me know. And there's an easy way for you to do that. You go to Clark.com and we have a message board called Clark Stinks where you can go post where you feel I missed it. And then others can comment, add on to that, disagree with you, but everybody can read and I learn. And then weekly, Krista, our producer, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, let's get into it. What you got up first, Krista? Uh, credit unions are not the best solution. Hmm. I don't really think Clark stinks. I don't know what he smells like, or but if I had to guess, I would guess he smells like a pleasant combination of coffee, peppermint lifesavers, and crisp new $1 bills. Not coffee, because you don't drink it. Maybe Coke Zero. Nonetheless, I think he is missing an opportunity when he tells people that the best way to finance a big expense is to get a loan from a credit union. Years ago, my husband and I discovered a much better way to finance big purchases. You could call it reverse interest paying financing. It works like this. We look ahead and anticipate we might need to make a large purchase. Maybe we figure out that in three or five years, we're going to need to buy a car. Then we figure out about how much we will need to spend for the car. Then we figure out how much we need to put aside every month in order to have the money we will need for that purchase. That's the reverse part. We make the payments first and then we purchase the item. The interest paying part is that while we are saving, we are actually making a little interest on that money instead of paying an interest to a bank or even to a credit union. This saves us far more money than getting a loan from a credit union. My late mother had the gall to suggest that we did not invent this kind of financing. She said this is the way everyone in her generation used to make big purchases. I find that hard to believe since no one in my generation seems to have heard of it. All right. That is the post of the month because... You are right, and that's how we used to do things in America. Credit was not widely available, and you saved money, and then when you had the money, you paid for it. That's why layaway that now is so rare, I guess Walmart's the last big player doing layaway, where you put money on deposit till you have enough money to pay for an item, and then you leave with it. And this concept of saving first... And then buying with cash you've accumulated is very infrequently done in the U.S. But obviously, paying for things with cash is almost always a superior thing to borrowing money any possible way. Clark, you advised a caller that her husband, who frequently travels internationally for work, should use a USAA checking account because there are no foreign transaction fees. That is false. 
I'm a former service member and faithful USAA member and was disappointed to learn just last week that they charge a 1% foreign transaction fee for their checking accounts and associated debit cards. The two credit cards I have through them are free, but the checking account is not. Perhaps not all USAA checking accounts are the same and some are free, but clearly it's incorrect to simply assume it's free because it's USAA. Thank you for that. And uh, the answer I gave may have had uh, an incomplete, you know, in school I would have gotten an I instead of a normal letter grade for that answer. There are now many ways to avoid foreign currency transaction fees. And if you travel regularly, Charles Schwab is the best deal going. No foreign currency transaction fees at all and no fees for unlimited ATM withdrawals. So for anybody who travels internationally, even a, a moderate amount, having your account at Charles Schwab is a fantastic way for you to be able to use your money at no additional cost. Oh, and, and also there are now a number of credit cards that offer no foreign currency transaction fees for using the cards overseas. They now promote that as one of their benefits when they're trying to solicit you as a member or customer. Speaking of international traveler, travel, uh, Clark recommends buying special overseas health insurance coverage when traveling. Such insurance may not provide the coverage that you think it does. Many policies have a very broad definition of what is a pre-existing condition and will not cover anything that they consider to fall into that category. You could unexpectedly be hit with an astronomical medical bill even after paying an arm and a leg for their coverage. That is completely true. That's always been a knock on any travel insurance policy. And that's why if you use one of the aggregators to shop, like Insure My Trip, and they have a competitor now, I can't remember the name right now, but if you use one of them and you're shopping around, read the reviews and see what people are saying about their experience with the various forms of travel insurance policies, including travel health coverage. Not a complaint, but a correction. Clark referred to physician's assistant, but it's actually physician assistant, as my PA daughter corrected me, just that I'd pass it on. I mispronounce everything. Add letters where they shouldn't be. Add syllables where they shouldn't be. Subtract syllables and letters that should be there. And it's just something that uh, I am, uh, I was not the best English student in school. That's why Krista's here, because you were an English major in college, right? It was a long time ago. <laughs> not a complaint. Okay, so it was not a complaint. That's what they said. I thought they signed it for some reason, but they did not. Thank you. You mentioned prices for the OTC medications can vary as much as 40 times from one location to another. Really, Clark? That is ridiculous. Do the math. 40 times means if somewhat, something like foot powder or cough medicine costs $5 as a low price, it could be as much as $200 at the highest location. That's a 3,900% increase from $5. Maybe you meant items can vary as much as 40% from one location to another. Martin Schrey, the, the CEO, the infamous pharmaceutical CEO who raised... Shrelke. Shrelke. I think is how you say it. Okay. Uh, raised the price of a life-saving drug from $13.50 to $750 per pill, went to prison for what he did. And that was, and as the worst of the worst, that's a 5,700% increase. Bottom line, I think you got it wrong. Uh, I respectfully would say to you that if you look at quantities 
of various over-the-counter meds. Don't look at the purchase price. Look at the quantity you get at various stores or online. Divide out the cost of a pill or an ounce if it's a liquid or whatever. You will find that what I said is amazingly true, that the price differences can be that great. And so it's really important with over-the-counter meds that you do shop those because we buy a lot more over-the-counter meds today than we buy prescription meds, and the price differences are phenomenally stark. But again, if you don't, if you only look at the price for the item instead of the cost per unit of that item, you'll miss how much more it is or less at one place versus another. I certainly agree with you regarding college choices that without deep pockets and or very generous merit scholarship funds, students should spend two years in a community college and live at home and then transfer to a regional four-year in-state public university. But I think you have missed the boat and left a bit of an odor in not challenging parents to make better financial decisions. Without federal loans and loan guarantees, students would be unable to get loans and the USA would have far fewer college graduates certainly not enough to support a high-tech economy, so it is unlikely that program will ever go away. Students, once they hit 18, are legally adults and should be able to choose their own college. However, parents must carefully decide how much debt they are willing to take on and whether they should facilitate acquisition of large amounts of debt for their kids by co-signing loans. When my two kids told me in high school that they wanted to attend college, I told them I had saved significant funds and that I would cover up to 90% of the cost of an in-state public college or about a third of the cost of a private or out-of-state public college. I would provide the same cash either way. That would be my total contribution and how they spent it was their choice. But the amount was written in stone, no exceptions and no additions, and I was not signing, co-signing, or facilitating loans for college expenses for them. They both wisely decided to select in-state public colleges and they both graduated with very little debt. I appreciate that post so much, and the fact that you cordoned off how much money you were going to save, and then that you would not put yourself into debt to put your children through college. I think that's a very wise process that you engaged in, and that you had conversations with your kids while they were still in high school before it was time for them to really think through where they were going to college, and then they made a marketplace choice to not run up the cost of college and graduate with a lot of student loan debt. So I don't why why did I stink on that? Because that sounded like they said you the were leaving out educating parents about their financial decisions. That's what they okay. believed. All right. Okay. So I don't really know if I have time to read another one. I'm sorry. Do it really quick. Okay. Come up with one. Fast. Right. Go, the go, The other day go. you had a caller who was contemplating canceling his Amex account to save on the annual fee. He wanted your opinion on whether or not doing so might adversely affect his utilization revenue and thus ratio, ratio and thus his credit score. It seems to me that a salient question would have been the type of Amex account in question. A credit card has a line of credit and accordingly the absence of same would lower utilization ratio. However, many Amex cards are charge accounts and do not have a preset limit. Uh, This posts as much a question as it is a Clark Stinks. I defer to your expertise and thorough investigative skills of your team. Your thoughts, Mike in Wisconsin. Mike, you're going to be stunned how the credit bureaus treat American Express charge cards that don't have a pre-established credit limit. They guesstimate a limit for you and put it in your report. So it's based on what your charge pattern has been over time. So you do have a mythical credit limit with an American Express charge card, 
even though American Express doesn't state an official credit limit for you, and it still affects your ratios in your credit standing. Appreciate all your posts. Please go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and let me know how I can serve you better. Susan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Susan. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Susan. So you can save huge money and you want to confirm it with me, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what is the so promise I, you've seen on oh. what what's the promise you've seen? Has it been on the internet or on TV or where have you seen this? Yeah, it was online and um it was an ad for an antenna for twenty nine ninety nine, which they said could replace your cable and I pay $160 a month, you know, for cable right now. And 160. Woo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> well, wow. It's your package, you know, if you like sports, that's what you get. Man, that's a lot of money. So if you, all this is a pitch for is an antenna that you can go buy at Walmart or Best Buy or Sam's Club or Costco mm-hmm. or whatever, it's not anything magical. And um, where do you live, Susan? I live in Washington State. Where in We're Washington kind of State are you? In Ridgefield. Okay. So if you lived in Seattle, you yeah. would you would find with just an antenna, you would maybe get thirty to forty channels of television for free. But they're not going to be the kind of channels that you get with the $160 a month cable package. They're the local television channels, and then there are hidden digital signals that they feed to you. Each television channel in a local area is allowed to send out five signals. So whatever number of channels there are in the area, you can multiply it by five, and that's the max number of channels you can pick up with an antenna. Oh. How do you get rid of that $160 a month bill? Well, depends on how good your internet connection is. Do you have a good yeah, internet it's connection? Yeah, good. Okay. So you could do yeah. a streaming product like YouTube TV. Uh, you could do DirecTV Now. You could do Sling.com. Any of these are streaming products. In fact, we have a list of all the various streaming products and where you're going to find the most sports and all that. And you're going to find that from 160, you'll drop to somewhere, if you're really into sports, you'll probably end up somewhere between 50 and $70 a month, where you'll wow. be able to watch the programming on your TV, but instead of having it come through the cable operator, it'll come from one of these streaming companies that streams over the web. Okay, and well, I we, appreciate that. We use one called YouTube TV that mm-hmm. is, we pay 35 a month for, and it's a little light on the sports, but everybody in the household loves it. Really? Yeah. Okay, well then, I'll give one of those a try. Thank you, I appreciate that. Sure, and by the way, get the, di- get the antenna as well to see what kind of TV you can pick up right out of the thin air, okay? Okay. Best to you, and have a great day. Hey, thank you, Clark.
Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So this is really, really frustrating, the amount of student loan debt in the United States. But one thing that is surprising is the amount of student loan debt that students have taken off, taken on, has actually started declining when the figures are adjusted for inflation. This is according to a study done by savingforcollege.com. So the people that do the great guide on state 529 plans. And that's the good news, that students relative to, uh, you know, it would be relative to income almost certainly to go along with the inflationary aspect that they're taking on less than they were even just a few years ago. If that was the end of the story, that would be good. But what's happened is that parents have significantly increased the amount of borrowing they're doing on behalf of their sons and daughters. And the amount of average debt that parents have taken on now significantly exceeds the amount of student loan debt carrying by the sons and daughters in school. And this is a potential recipe for disaster. Because if you take the parent borrowing and the student borrowing, it far exceeds what students are likely to earn for years and years is an annual salary and a job. This is such a problem for so many families. You may have heard about the show on True TV. That's the one that used to do all the court cases and stuff. I don't know if they do any of that stuff anymore. But anyway, they now have a game show called Paid Off, where contestants compete to see who's going to get student loans in part paid off by the game show. You can't make this stuff up. But what it does mean is that what I've hoped would happen is not happening because the amount of student loan debt parents are taking on is on a trajectory kind of a cross between a plane taking off and a rocket. In other words, it's increasing at a scary, unsustainable rate. And parents, get the guilt thing out of your body. You should not feel guilty that life kept you from being able to afford whatever school your son or daughter was all jazzed about. They need to go to a lower-cost school rather than you taking on a mountain of debt. It's not a good recipe taking on that mountain of debt. Lamar is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lamar. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you, Lamar. You are a fellow entrepreneur, is that right? 
I'm an aspiring entrepreneur for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a transition of being a small business owner myself. Good for you. It, it's hard, but if you make it go, the independence of being your own boss and the ultimate potential for income is so much better usually than working for somebody else. Oh, absolutely. So I'm glad absolutely. you got the guts to go for it. Well, it's scary, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk for sure. How can I be of help to you in this quest to open your own small business? Well, um, um, I've started doing a lot of things, you know, I've uh, opened a, a LLC and things of that nature. But I wanted to know, um, as far as, like, the banking side goes, do you, did you have any recommendations? Because I, I follow your show, and, and I know you're not really enamored with most of the big banks. Oh, never. Uh, this is a never rule. A small business should never, 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 not ever have their business banking with one of the giant monster mega banks. Never. Because they'll treat you like dirt and they'll fee you to death. So, so you, then my, you can't even consider them. Well, then my question would be in that light would be what, what would your banking recommendations be then? Well, there are a number of banks that are smaller and mid-sized banks. Uh, some of the ones that have a lot of branches, even in potentially multiple states, that offer free business checking accounts. And they do the free business checking instead of feeing you to death on the business account because they're hoping that over time your business is going to grow and when you need loans for that business, you're going to go to them. Because that's okay. where they really want to make the money. Okay. The giant monster mega banks will treat you horribly whenever you want to try to borrow money. Most of the time, they'll never get around to saying yes to a loan. And that's because there's no priority for them because they've already ripped you off so much on your business banking account. They probably figure okay. you're not going to have any money left to pay them on the loan anyway. Right, right. So, uh, you ever heard of the website Nerd Wallet? N E R D yes, Wallet? I yes, I have. They have a guide on their website to uh, free business checking accounts. Mm -hmm. And you can click on your state and you'll be able to see which banks that are both small and mid sized have free business checking accounts. Okay. And is that nerdwallet.com, right? Yes, it is. That's very helpful. I'm going to definitely check that out and uh, make a decision on, on that. And I want to wish you the best being out there on your own. You'll have a lot of people when you go to start your own business that will try to psych you out and tell you why it's never going to work, blah, 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 blah. But if you've thought through what you're doing and you have belief in self, I know there's risk involved with starting your own business, but... Risk is always involved when you're looking for success. And I wish you the greatest success in your business, Lamar. Bobby is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bobby. Hey, how are you, sir? Great. Thank you, Bobby. Your new homeowner, huh? Well, just new to me, I guess. It's about a 10-year-old home that I bought um, back in March. And it had been sitting for a little while, but the people who owned it uh, 
they had another home away from here. It was like a vacation home kind of thing. We sold it and it had been sitting up. And so when I moved in, it, you know, I had the air conditioning units and all that kind of stuff serviced and checked out and all. Then I started getting uh, offers in the mail from these home warranty companies. You know, if this goes out, we pay this. If this goes out, we pay this. I was just wondering if that was a good investment. Yeah, the cuckoo clock. That's what I thought. That's, that's, that was my, I was, I was, it seemed too good to be true. I'd, um, I will tell you, I'll occasionally get a call from somebody who vehemently disagrees with me on this. And, you know, there's a range of opinions on topics, but I feel very strongly that the home warranty thing is, it's not a scam, but I look at it as a ripoff. The company's mm-hmm. promise and their literature on their websites and their shiny brochures, how you're going to have this total peace of mind that instead of you facing potentially an enormous expense replacing this in your house or that in your house or the other in your house, that you're not going to have to worry about that. You just pay them the five or $600 a year. And then when something does go wrong with something in your home, you just pay a visit charge and maybe a deductible, and they're going to take care of everything for you. That's the pitch, and it right? Doesn't right? It doesn't exactly work out. Doesn't work out. And so, what I'll hear from people occasionally is that I'm wrong and that they had this thing go wrong in their house and they called and they came and they took care of it and they're so happy they had it. But think of it this way: every year, and what kind of prices are you seeing? Are you seeing? Like five fifty, um, six hundred. Yeah, fifty dollars a month is what they're. Six hundred. Okay. Right. Uh, so six hundred dollars a year. Think about over the years that money in your pocket. Right. You choose who you're going to hire. You know, you with these warranty companies, you have no idea what quality person they're going to send. How soon they'll send somebody. Right. Um, how much they know or how little they know about supposedly what they're going to do. When you can hire somebody you know and trust or you have reason to trust over time, that's better, and you don't have the visit charges, you don't have the deductibles, you're making the decisions. And then over the years, I mean, you think about $600 a year over, let's say you own the home 10 years, that's $6,000 that you have you can use as you wish for repairs. Right. Now, having said that, I'm going to completely contradict everything I just said. When the time comes for you to sell your home, the buyer who's buying it is going to be nervous. And a lot of times, it's a marketing gimmick. It, It actually works. When you provide a buyer one of these warranties, you pay the first year. Right. It makes them feel a lot better. And I look at it. I look at it as only part of the marketing technique to get your house sold, not as something I would ever renew. I got you. Does All that right, help? It sounded it sounded too good to be true, and I kind of figured it was, but I wanted to kind of run it down and see exactly what you thought about it. Well, I'm glad you asked, and I hope the home works out great and best to you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. And yeah. we're speaking with Varash. Varash. Glad to have you on the Clark Howard Show. How can I be of service? Hey, Clark, how are you? Lovely show. Thank you. Um, 
So we were on a flight, uh, I believe it was May 20th. We were on a flight out from Orlando. Our destination was Edmonton, Canada. First leg, there were two legs. The first leg was supposed to land in Houston. But we had an engine failure close to Tampa. Uh, It was very scary. And it was me, my pregnant wife, and our four-year-old. They landed back in Orlando, long lines at every single counter. Um, And they finally put us... um, I think it was like six or seven hours later on the next available leg to Houston. They put us in a hotel there again at the hotel. Every single place there are lines and everything, and it was crazy. Uh, we, we got to Edmonton a day late. They were able to extend our return by one day. We, of course, lost. We both work. Uh, we have decent jobs. Uh, we lost another work day at, at the tail end. Um, what they were suggesting when when this whole uh, episode happened is to go to their website and uh, they have a f- form where you fill out what happened and then they'll compensate you for that. And I, that's just 75 bucks per passenger, which is the same that they offer if they give you the wrong meal or if your seat wasn't comfortable. Yeah, well, that's because they're contemptuous of you and they don't care about you. And... The thing you want to know is, is there are there things that they have to do for you because of a flight disruption? And there's a service that you can hire if you want to called GetService.com. Have you seen that as you searched around on the web? Um, no, I'm not aware of that. It, again, it's called GetService.com, and they go out and they know all the rules, they know all the regulations, they know what airlines are likely to do if pushed. And you can look at this as an alternative. In this case, though, I would... Uh, are you active or is your wife active on social media? Um, sort of, yes. That is uh, n- not... Don't write a long novel on social media, but post mm-hmm. pictures and say, this is what happened, you were fearing for your lives after the engine exp- you know, failed, all that, and the airline, after much effort, offered you $75 a person, which didn't even come close to covering your actual economic losses. Mm-hmm. And airlines closely monitor social media and tend to mm-hmm. do more for people who make noise and cause problems for them on social media than they're ever going to do in the administrative process. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking about just writing an email, but... Uh, won't do anything for you. Yeah. Won't yeah. do anything. You know, airlines fear the word spreading. They don't fear you as an individual at all. But also look at, uh, circling back around, look at GetService.com and see if they might be able to help you in this case. I don't know if they can retroactively. You'll be able to see at their website. The most important thing, in spite of the disruption, is you're all A-OK. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel asks your question for you. Joel, what you got? Clark Charles wrote in and wants to know, what's the best way to go about getting a living will? I'm so glad you've asked this question because I seldom address this. In many states, uh, what's known as a living will or in others it may be called a durable power of attorney for health care or an advanced directive, all these terms are used. There's differences between them depending on how a state statute works. You need to use the actual form required in your state or recommended in your state. If you go online and you put in um, uh, advanced directive or living will or try both terms separately and put your state name next to it, you're likely to see as you scroll down the form for your state. If you want to make sure you don't get thrown off the path by any of um, the ads trying to sell you services for those things. Instead, go to duckduckgo.com, duckduckgo.com. Use that as a search engine. It won't show you ads. It'll just show you results. And then with the state forms, which is how most states do it, you just print out the form and then It's a simple form. It'll ask you questions. Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want the other? And you sign it as required. It's witnessed as required. Make sure people know where that form is. And in many states, rather than a living will, you need something known as a durable power of attorney for health care, which is both your wishes and you appoint your representative to handle things for you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.